today is Pentecost Sunday. Uh, if you have no idea what that means, great. I'm going to tell you all about it so you don't have to worry. Uh, here's Pentecost Sunday uh, in, in a nutshell, what we're talking about today. Pentecost is the day two th- about 2,000 years ago at this point that the disciples were all hot and sweaty and nervous and anxious and sitting in one room for about 10 to 12 days, which is a long time to all be together, wondering what Jesus actually meant when he told them, you have to stay in Jerusalem, you, you can't go anywhere, you can't really even leave our friend Mary's house, you just all have to stay together and you have to pray. And they're all nervous and wondering what's going to happen when all of a sudden, boom, it happens. Listen to this, Acts 2. On the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Jesus was crucified, all the believers were meeting together. And suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house. Then what looked like flames settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Crazy, right? So picture this. It's, kind of, it's like a group this size in a room about a quarter of this size. And they're all like, I'm not exaggerating. They were all probably going out of their mind, unsure of what Jesus was actually up to and wondering kind of if they had lost their mind by actually believing him when he, when he left and then said, no, but you've got to sit here and wait for this thing to happen. They didn't know what the Holy Spirit was. They had no frame of reference for this thing. Jesus just told them, go sit here and take my word on it. And they did. They're all sitting in a room. And then all of a sudden, it's like the windows blew open. Hurricane force winds are blowing around and flames appear over their heads. They may have thought that they lost it at that moment. And then to top it all off, they all start speaking in other languages. Now, as Americans, we can understand this concept very well, because as Americans, we only speak one language, right? For the most part, we do. If you're from another country, you speak more than one language. For us, it's one. So if we are to start speaking in a different language, all of us, you would be very surprised, especially if you're from Mexico, or if you're from the Czech Republic, or you're from these places, you're like, Americans learn how to speak other languages. This is really weird. They can actually speak my language for once. I don't have to speak theirs. It was shocking. These were not people who you would expect to speak a lot of different languages. And all of a sudden, with flames over their head, they start doing it. Weird, crazy town stuff going on. And then, if that's not enough, all of a sudden, these super unpolished guys get up and start delivering the like world's best sermons, just like out of nowhere. I mean, Peter gets up and gives a sermon that brings 3,000 people to know Jesus. And Peter's the dude who chopped off a guy's ear when Jesus was getting arrested. This is not the guy who's eloquent and you know gives these impassioned speeches. He's, he's the, the knee-jerk reactor in the group, not who you would expect. But listen to how he starts this off. How's how's this for a couple of opening lines? Then Peter stepped forward and he shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you. Make no mistake about this. These people aren't drunk. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. I like that. Like, of course they're not drunk. It's 9 a.m. Like, come on. No, what you see 
was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. And that's where he lays out the entire scope of the Old Testament and how it was all pointing to Jesus and to what Jesus was going to come and do, that Jesus' whole life, his whole purpose was to connect us in relationship to the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then for the first time ever, we hear a sermon given about the Holy Spirit, and he actually knows what's going on. And 30 minutes ago, he had no idea. If I got up here and God gave me a sermon that I had no idea about 30 minutes ago, I'm not sure I would have, it would, I would have to have fire over my head in order for me to do it. I think that would freak me out a little bit too much, to be honest. He just, he gives the most powerful sermon that they had ever heard because it was the first time it was ever preached. 3,000 people became followers of Jesus that very day because of what was going on. It's a powerful sermon. Read it this week. It's good. It will do something to you in a good way. And then he ends it this way. Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for all. Now, if you were the person that that Sunday decided it was your morning in, you would be pretty bummed. If you decided that that Sunday you were going to stay at home, make your coffee from the French press, from your espresso machine, that you were going to sit on the porch, read the Wall Street Journal, maybe watch a little CBS Sunday morning. If you decided that this was your morning even, that you were just going to watch the live stream because it's more comfortable that way on your couch. You're watching it on Facebook or on their website. And all of a sudden, flames appeared over everybody else's head in the room. You would be very disappointed with yourself. <laughs> you would be very disappointed. That would be the letdown of the century. Uh, I mean, fire over people's heads. We cannot overemphasize how crazy this is. It's out there. Now, with all of that laid out, let me say this. One of my favorite parts about our theology as a vineyard, which that's what we're a part of, it's the denomination that we're in, is this idea of naturally supernatural. So here's, here's what this means. We believe that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to live in us, which is kind of a weird term in and of itself, but it's his idea, not mine, so I go along with it. And that the Holy Spirit's role is to point us back to Jesus. He speaks to us. He heals us. He tells us surprising things about other people. He encourages us to do surprising things to other people sometimes. He's, he does all kinds of things that we would not have expected when we're open to it. And naturally, supernatural means that we believe in all of that, but... This is why it's my favorite, one of my favorite parts about our theology. But there's no weird stuff. So let's be honest, flames overhead is a little, little bit weird. It doesn't have to look any different from the way that the rest of your life looks. There don't have to be flames in order for the Holy Spirit to be moving. 
It's about creating space for the Holy Spirit to move, to speak to you, to act in the way that he wants to act in your lives, through your lives, to other people that are around you. No hype man necessary, no smoke machine, no fog machine, no, no special lighting. You don't even have to have somebody on the keyboard just playing the right tune in order for you to reach that special place of Holy Spiritism. None of that's necessary. Just an openness to Jesus moving in your life, right where you're at, when he's wanting to move. We want the Holy Spirit to engage with us. And here at the vineyard, you can kind of leave the weird stuff at the door. We're not too worried about that part. And I just want to give a little encouragement to you. If, if maybe you're a little afraid of the weird stuff, anytime you hear a Holy Spirit sermon, you're like, Heek, is this when it's going to happen? Is this when I'm going to get really uncomfortable by what's going to come out? Uh, I don't think that the weird stuff's necessary in order for the Holy Spirit to come. He could come and do something, and you could be sitting there, and you're like totally in your own world, and the person next to you is being dramatically healed of cancer. And you might not even know in the moment. The Holy Spirit doesn't need us to like act it out, to get hyped up, to do anything crazy for him to move. He just needs us to give him the space to do it. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, the movement of the Holy Spirit, Pentecost, it's not all flames and weird stuff. It's just encountering Jesus. As I was thinking about this series that we're ending today that we've called Happily Ever After, uh, kind of, I was just thinking about like, what would I say is our central message that we've been trying to get across over the past few weeks? Here's what I think it is. If you want more of the love of Jesus then you want more of the Holy Spirit. Those things are the same, two sides of the same coin, and you will be transformed if you want either one. And you hopefully do want both of them. It's something important for us. This week, as I've been preparing for today, I've just felt really uh, kind of encouraged, prodded, pushed, uh, what are other good words to say what Jesus has done? Uh, to have today be as much about the experience of the Holy Spirit as it is about me talking about experiencing the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to purposely leave space at the end for the Holy Spirit to come and to do stuff. But again, don't be afraid of it. Just open yourself up and ask the Holy Spirit for more because he wants to give it to us. So let's pray and then we're going to jump in. Jesus, I just thank you for what you want to do here today. I thank you that uh, 2,000 years ago that you started your church uh, with a uh, very uh, emotional, slightly erratic man giving a powerful sermon, uh, and that you've kept using people like that, people like us, to bring your kingdom on earth throughout the past 2,000 years. And I just pray, Jesus, that you will be filling us today with more of you. We want to encounter you. We want more of your love, Jesus. We want more of you, Holy Spirit. And I pray that above and beyond anything else, that we will walk out of here knowing that we have been deeply changed and transformed by the reality of your love. 
Let that be our truth today, this Pentecost. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, 1 Corinthians. If you have a Bible, open up. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles in the front and the back you can grab at any time. I'm going to start off with just two verses, and then I'm going to read some of what's uh, kind of sandwiched in between these two verses later. But 1 Corinthians 12, 7, and then 13, 2. Here's what 12, 7 says. Now to each one, the manifestation or the expression of the Spirit is given for the common good. Then 13, 2, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, then I am nothing. I think it's always important whenever we're talking about kind of the crazy stuff that we start with two important starting line realities. And here's the first one, that the Holy Spirit is for everyone and that it's given for the good of everyone, not just the good of me or you, but for all people all over. That's important for us to realize. To each one, the Spirit is given for the common good. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote the letter to the church in Corinth, uh, and the church in Corinth is maybe the, uh, the most badly behaved of all the churches in the Bible. Uh, they were kind of astonishingly bad. Some of the stuff was so bad that everybody outside of the church was judging them for what they were doing. So like, it was like kind of monumentally bad. And one of the things that they were really, really known for, which is a great thing to be known for, is that they were super selfish. Good, right? So, and one of the areas that they're super selfish with is the gifts of the Spirit. And here's why. Because they had figured out that if you somehow tapped into this whole Holy Spirit thing, that you could do crazy cool stuff like Paul was doing, and then you would become famous like Paul was. And so they started kind of trying to like power grab with the Holy Spirit and get it all for themselves uh, so that they could become the uh, kind of the, the new Paul, the, the man in charge, the one that everybody was talking about. That's how they were looking at it. The Holy Spirit does cool stuff, great. Then I want all of it for myself so that I can look good, so that I can do really cool stuff so that other people can be like, man, look at that person. That's pretty amazing. And that's the complete and total wrong attitude you, you can have when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Rich Nathan, a vineyard pastor, once said, what we are really praying for when we ask for spiritual gifts is this. God, I want to be used by you to serve others. That is the heart of what this is all about. It's not about me getting some like crazy cool experience or doing something that's going to leave you all walking out of here saying, wow, Stephen's so gifted, so amazing. It's not about any of that. It's about loving others more. Loving others in deeper ways with the love of Jesus, which leads me to the second starting line reality, that love is the most important part of this. 13.2, if I have the gift of prophecy, can fathom all mysteries, in all knowledge, if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. It's not about me. 
It's not about you. It's about the kingdom of God breaking into our world and dramatically changing people. That's what it's about. A lot of times you hear people say, especially in more like Pentecostal settings, that the real limitation on you and the gifts of the Spirit is faith. Well, I'm going to flat out say that that's wrong. I know, you don't hear like a strong statement like that about somebody else's theology, but here's why. Because I think that the only thing that will limit the Holy Spirit moving in our lives is if we don't love enough. If we don't love God enough, and if we don't love each other enough. That is where we are limited when it comes to the Holy Spirit. It's not about how much faith that we have. It's not about how much that we can like make happen on our own. It's how much we love other people. If you are moved by love, you will see stuff happen, guaranteed. Mike Pilavachi, whose book Everyday Supernatural is getting like massive publicity on Sundays at our church right now, uh, he says this, we can prophesy until the cows come home. We can perform healings that put pharmacies out of business. We can see miracles that would make Elijah envious. But unless we make love our aim, we haven't a hope of revealing the glory of God to others. It's all worthless if we're not doing it out of a place of love. I was thinking about this, and, and I realized that I've kind of seen this play out a little bit in my life since becoming a dad. So here's a moment of truth. When I see parents that, like, for every, like, bump, scrape, and bruise, I'm talking, like, the little stuff when they, like, accidentally, like, hit their knee on something, they run over and they immediately start, like, praying out loud for that kid to be okay. I have bad internal dialogues. <laughs> I'll just say it that way. It doesn't do great things for me. Uh, I tend to get a little cynical about that. Uh, I think it's a little over-spiritualizing, and I judge a little bit, which is not good on me at all. Uh, freely admit that. And then we had kids, and we adopted, so it was kind of like all at once. So it's a little different process than from baby up. But what I've noticed over the past year since we've had kids is that when our kids, now it's not really when they bumper, I'm just kind of a, a little bit, of, I'm the... Okay, you can deal with it, it's good. Uh, type of dad on that, sorry. For the little stuff, but when they're sick, when they're really hurting, when they're in just a really hard emotional space, uh, when they're going through something, I don't always pray out loud, but you know what I'm always doing when I'm sitting there and I'm holding them, when they're leaning on me, when they're sick, when they're in that place, I'm praying. Inside, I am crying out to God because I desperately want God to reach in and to do something. I want him to heal them. I want him to take away their pain. I want him to, to fix what it is that's bothering them, that's hurting them so much. There's something in me that's changed 
towards them as I've grown to love them more and more when it comes to my relationship with God, that I'm not just like scoffing at it, but instead I'm saying, no, God, I actually do really want you to do this. I see the need for you to come and to take away their pain, to take away what they're going through. Like I want you to move, to come and to do something. Friends, if you want to see Jesus move, if you want to see the Holy Spirit heal people, if you want to see him take away people's pain and do something in their life and make things different, then you have to love. If you don't love them deeply, there's nothing that you're crying out for. You're just kind of saying words. But when love enters the equation, the love that Jesus has for the person that's standing in front of you, that you are praying for, that you are talking to, all of a sudden, all bets are off and you have been changed. Love makes us want it a whole lot more. It changes our heart towards it. We want to be moved by the love of Jesus. It changes our heart. It gives us courage. It takes away our cynicism, our negativity, our pessimism. And it leaves us with a genuine desire to see the Holy Spirit do something. Let's look at the rest of this section from 1 Corinthians 12, verse 8. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge, to another faith, to another gifts of, the, of healing, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in tongues, still to another the interpretation of tongues. So this isn't a complete list of everything that the Holy Spirit will ever do through somebody. We don't have a complete list in the entire Bible. We have to kind of pick and choose and, and put everything together a little bit. But I don't think that it's necessary that we have a complete list. Here's why. This gives us a starting point. It gives us expectations. If you don't have expectations of what the Holy Spirit's going to do, then usually you go to one of two ends of the spectrum, right? You either believe everything is the Holy Spirit which can be a little dangerous sometimes, or you believe nothing is the Holy Spirit, which is also not a very great end of the spectrum to be in. So this list kind of helps us to get a starting point, something to expect from Jesus for ways for him to move in us, to speak to us, to act. Uh, we want to have that kind of a place to begin from. I want to give some basic definitions to a few of these uh, and if you are really desperate for definitions to the rest, email me this week and I'll shoot you the rest of my notes and we'll go for it that way. But I want to kind of zoom through these so we can have space, like I said, to engage with the Holy Spirit a little bit. Here's the first one that Paul mentions, the message or a word of wisdom. Uh, I would define that as an insight into a situation or a decision that you would otherwise have no knowledge of. It's kind of like if I'm standing here and I'm talking to one of you and all of a sudden I feel like the Holy Spirit says, tell them that they're supposed to take the job in Hopkinton. I'm like, that's weird. Okay. So I tell you about it and I don't know that you're choosing between two jobs, between one in Hopkinton or one in Westboro. You know that obviously. I tell you that and you're like, oh, awesome. Thanks God. Now I know which job I'm supposed to take. 
That's the sort of thing that a message or a word of wisdom is. A message of knowledge, again, or a word of knowledge, is a truth about a person that you wouldn't know otherwise. So this could be kind of all over the place. It could be you're talking to somebody, and all of a sudden your wrist starts to hurt, and you're like, do you have wrist issues? Can I pray for that? Uh, and they do have wrist issues, and you pray for them, and God wants to heal that. Or it could be that you're uh, talking to someone, and you just have this like really strong sense that Jesus wants to pour his love into them. And so you pray for him for Jesus to pour his love into him, and the Holy Spirit meets him in that. Uh, it could be all over the spectrum, but it's just something that the Holy Spirit's guiding you to pray for, for that person to share with them. And then prophecy. And these three kind of are a little interchangeable, and I'm not too worried about getting everything into nice, neat boxes every time that you define what it is that you're telling uh, somebody else, because I think that's a little, little nutty. But prophecy is this. It's a specific message for a specific person in a specific place at a specific time. Got it? Lots of specifics. Whereas like the Bible is for all people in all places at all times, right? Difference. Specific person, all people, all places, etc. You get that. Two words of encouragement when it comes to prophecy. The first is you are not God and you are not the Bible. And so don't expect yourself to be right every single time. You do not have to be infallible. Nobody except probably yourself is holding you up to that standard, so drop it. It's not helpful. It's not necessary. We're all learning. There's not a single one of us here who has like the radio tuned into Jesus Central every single minute of the day and could stand up and say like, without a doubt, this is what Jesus, like we're not Jesus. We can't do that. We're learning. Give yourself grace to learn. Don't worry about uh, making a mistake with this. You're not going to stop somebody from knowing Jesus because you risk. I'll leave it there. Second thing, a true word from Jesus, a true prophetic word will always do two things. And if it doesn't, throw it in the trash. It should make you want to know Jesus more and it should make you love Jesus more. I, I heard a story about somebody who, uh, which this is like the terrible end of the spectrum, but it gives you something to keep in your head, uh, <laughs> that uh, somebody told them that their plane was going to crash. That's like terrible, right? They're like, God told me that your plane's going to crash. Well, thankfully, this person knew that that's not something that Jesus would really say unless it was like imminent disaster. And at that point, wouldn't you tell the whole airline, not just the one person who's going to get on it so that not everybody dies? And he threw it in the garbage and then walked on. If it doesn't point you to Jesus, if it doesn't make you want to love Jesus more, trash can, move on. Don't judge the person, just move on. Just keep going from it. Faith is, uh, the best way I can describe this is it's a moment of supernatural expectancy or trust in God's ability to move that allows you to step out and to do something you wouldn't normally do. If you have one of those moments, you will know that you're having one of those moments. So do whatever it is that Jesus is encouraging you to do. Step out and do it. You'll have what you need in order to do that thing. And then tell everybody about it afterwards because it's going to be awesome. But you will know it if that happens. Healing happens when Jesus supernaturally does something in your body. 
Now, this is separate from medical system, which is all very good. We love our doctors. We love medicine. We love getting treated for things that we need treatment for. But sometimes the Holy Spirit decides that he's just going to do something, and he does. And there's no, there's no like natural way that it was fixed. There's no natural way that bone was set perfectly well. There's no natural way that that cancer was just kind of spontaneously removed from your body or even small stuff. There's no natural way. You didn't take any Excedrin and all of a sudden your migraine's gone. There's no natural way that that happens. It's just Jesus moving in your body. Sometimes he steps in and moves in a way that no one can understand outside of this simple statement, Jesus healed me. Awesome. Miraculous powers, distinguishing between spirits, speaking in tongues and interpretation of tongues. I'm not going to go into all those. Again, if you really want definitions, if it's driving you crazy, shoot me an email. I'm happy to send them to you. But I want to give some encouragement as we come to an end. This isn't about you. It's about Jesus. It's about having, it's about being obedient and having confidence in who Jesus is. I heard a story that I think hits this just really, really well. Again, shout out to Mike Pilibachi. I'm pilfering all of his stuff today. Uh, he, he told a story about a little girl who wanted to make a fire with her dad. And so her dad comes home. She's like, dad, dad, can we make a fire in the fireplace? Okay. So I mean, it's August, but no. Uh, so, they, so then they go and they get all the kindling and the wood and the paper and they set up the framework of the entire fire. It's perfect. And then he strikes a match and he lights that piece of paper. And then the little girl had watched this happen enough that she knew that what you do in order to make a fire actually go is you get on your belly and you start blowing. So she lays down right in front of that fire and she starts and blows on that thing. Now she is blowing the wettest, juiciest spit bubbles you have ever seen come out of any child's mouth all over that nice dry wood and paper, all over those flames. And yet somehow, after a couple of minutes, it ignites. She jumps up and she looks at her dad. She says, Dad, I did it. I did it. And her dad looks at her. He's like, yes, you did. Good job. Well done. Now, what she didn't know was that her dad was laying down next to her, blowing at the exact same time that she was blowing. So for every one of her nasty spit bubbles, he was blowing perfectly into the right spot to ignite the fire and it cap, and the flames grew. Did he tell her that it wasn't really much that she did? Nope. Did it matter? Not really. Hopefully you're catching where I'm going with this. It's the same with the Holy Spirit. Because friends, honestly, all that we're doing is blowing spit bubbles. Like, we are. This side of heaven, we're blowing spit bubbles. We are just, with a hope and a prayer, trying our best to do what it is that Jesus is encouraging us to do. And the beautiful thing is that the whole time, he's right there next to us, breathing life, breathing into the fire, igniting 
what it is that we would be helpless to do on our own. He's making it happen. Even if you're just blowing spit bubbles, you're doing what it is that you're called to do. Our job is to let the Holy Spirit do the work while we create the space, while we love, and while we step out in confidence that we are serving a really good God who loves each and every one of us and wants to move. We leave the rest to the professionals. We know that we're not the most important person in the equation, and that's a good spot to be. So here's how we're going to end. If Beth wants to come up and begin to play, and we're just going to leave some space right now for the Holy Spirit to come.